Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio. 630 Chad. Quick shot by Pisani. He scores! at Edmonton. Welcome back, everybody. Bob Stauffer with you. Our guest on Legends of the Game today, uh, Fernando Pisani. You would have gathered that from that roll-in. By the way, a further report on Derek Broussard sounds like the New York Islanders. So again, I put a tweet out about three hours ago saying multiple teams were in on him. My guess was he was going to stay in the East, where he's played the majority of his NHL career. And Fernando, that is that is an issue for some guys out there, isn't it? That, you know, at the end of the day, some guys are comfortable in playing in the East, and there are players that prefer playing in Canada, and some guys are Western Canadian guys, but uh, it's not you're not going to get every guy you go out and target. That's just kind of how it works. Yeah, you know what? I think for the most part, guys, the travel schedule is the biggest thing coming out West, and I think they don't like that amount of travel that you have to do, especially in Edmonton and Vancouver and that but out east they you know if you're playing in Philly you got all those cities that are close by and it's just easy for for them and their families yeah again we'll continue to monitor this this afternoon but uh, George LaRock your former teammate yesterday tweeting out uh, that uh, he had heard in Edmonton that uh, the Oilers were closing in on a deal on Broussard I'm going to tell you point blank yes the Oilers had interest in Derek Broussard why not at this stage they needed a third line center my, I'm I'm stunned that he didn't sign a deal. Like, I would have thought. I, I heard he was looking for three times three uh, on July 1st. Oh, really? And now he's looking at getting a one-year deal. So it's all about perspective, and that's how the market moves sometimes. Yeah, it's it's always it's a moving part. Every you know, it just depends on who signs where and what's yeah. going on, and everybody's you know budget. Everything's a budget now. All right, let's get to 2006. They all just right. ran those goals. Uh, do, you, do you ever? Okay, do you ever do this? Do you ever go on YouTube and go take a look at? Uh, if there, there's a guy that's put a 
compilation out of all the Oilers goals scored in each playoff year. Did you ever take a look at that? Yeah, you know what? Uh, I have uh, not for a while, but I I did uh, a little while back and watched it, and you know it gives you goosebumps and and chills because I think in the moment when I was playing, I never really actually enjoyed you know just sat back and say, wow, this is you know this is really happening, and I think now I look back and. I think you just wish that you you just soaked it in a little bit more but you're so intense and so involved in the game that you know you're on such a run you just you don't want to jinx it as a player you know you're as I was very superstitious and a lot of guys are superstitious so you just stick to your routine and uh, you just don't want you know to lose that momentum so what would encapsulate part of the ro- routine like would you drive the same way to the rink every game would you put the fir- you know your yeah. left skate on before the right skate like yeah you'd you'd, le- you'd take the same route every time to the rink you'd leave at the same time you'd get to the rink at the same time you'd tape your sticks in a certain order uh, you know, we'd go in and get massages before the game. So you'd go in a certain order, uh, you know, pecking order of, of who's on the table at, at what time. And, you know, you shower at a certain time, you do your workout at a certain time, you put your left skate on first. So it's a, it's a very uh, strict regime that you follow. And then especially if you score, you just do not veer off that at all. So I, I, will, I will tell you this, uh, you know, I work with a guy who's a talented broadcaster. But uh, he does not believe in jinxes, okay? And so he'll read a stat like, the Calgary Flames are 1 for 39 on the power play over their last 12 games. <laughs> and 18 seconds later, the Flames will score. And I'll just look at him, right? Like with a death glare, like, why do yeah. you do Like, You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, as a player, you know what? Very, very superstitious. And all I think every every player has some superstition that they follow and, and do. So... I was I was extremely superstitious, especially during that playoff run. Okay, so going back to 0506, did you guys think when you picked up Rollison that that you know because if you looked at your team in 0304, and I know you were kind of you were kind of establishing yourself 0304, and then yeah. you know second full year in the league in 0506, but did you guys think yeah if you got a goal like and I don't mean to disrespect Conklin or Markinen or or Morrison who were here at the time, but did, did you think if we get a better goalie we might be able to do something here? You know what we we were always close. Like you, uh, the last five games of the uh, of the regular season, we were always a few points out, and we thought that if we had you know a bona fide number one goalie that can you know win you, steal you some games, those points add up at the end. And and it wasn't just Roley coming in. You know, Samsonov came in, and he he was pivotal for us and and helping us. And and Pronger, I think the second half of the season was just you know unbelievable I, the, the first half he was he was just okay I think he was just kind of getting his feet wet and getting comfortable with everything and then as he became more comfortable he just brought our team to another level like the back end was just solidified and one pass it's on your tape and you're out of the zone and and he played over 30 minutes a night and was just with, with Jason Smith for a large yeah. part of that right yeah so we had we had him on the back end and, and Jason Smith and Steve Steos and Spacek so we had a pretty good core of, of D-men on the back end that can get the puck out. And um, and then up front, we were, we were a blue-collar team. We didn't have anybody that was going to, you know, score yet. Like Hemsky was our, and, and, and Smitty, uh, they were our two guys that were, yeah. you know, carrying the offensive load. But um, in the playoffs, like, that's what I love about the playoffs is that anybody can, can be a star. Anybody can 
take it on and, and lead and and that's always what happens if you look at every every year there's always someone that steps up and is that you know unsung hero it's funny I, I don't know if you know this but before the playoffs I was on the other station at that time and Speck and me were doing the show together and he took Detroit in three that he had Detroit in three and <laughs> yeah. I said I'm telling you Mark the orders are all wrong for Detroit now my theory on this is sometimes when teams are really good there's things that can undermine them and unsettle them and they don't reach what they and there had been some discourse that year it was the first year of Mike Babcock in Detroit with that regime and McClellan was part of that coaching staff Woodcroft was their video guy at that time and I'd heard rumblings that guys like Matthew Schneider and Robert Lang you know Babcock is a big personality as a coach yeah and there's a lot of talent a lot of veterans and I'm just like you know what sometimes when push comes to shove in those situations and I experienced it a bit at the U of A. Like, some yeah. really, like the, you know, and you coached the U of A. We'll talk a little about that later on. But Alberta won six titles in 13 years when I, when I did the games. A couple of the teams they had were better than any of those six teams that won. But I could tell there was a little bit of friction. And when I was, what I'd heard out of Detroit was there were some challenges. And I wasn't sure if they were going to be able to match the heart of what you guys might be able to bring. <clears throat> now, you got better goaltending. That played yeah, a big part of it. That was huge. But yeah. you guys. To me, you played, you got to a deeper place than Detroit did in that series. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think the the biggest thing is leading into the playoffs a month, you know, we were in playoff mode. We we had to win. It was every game was do or die. And, you know, they've, they were probably clinched in, in December, right? So they, they, they'd never really been battle tested. And I think that was the biggest thing for us. And once we got into the playoffs, it was like a huge monkey off our backs. Like, we just played relaxed. Mac T, you know, Billy, Charlie, and Simmer, they just, they had a game plan in place. And, and they were calm behind the bench. And they said, yeah, you know what, Detroit, they're a great team, but we can beat them. And you can just, you can tell the confidence from the coaching staff and the game plan that they put in place. And and then we just we just went out and executed. And we battled. And we fought for every square inch of that ice. And... You know, the first two games in Detroit, it was just it was just a complete battle, and and then we believed, and that was the biggest thing. We went out there, we believed, we battled, we, you know, scored some timely goals, and and then the momentum swung, and then you know, going into Game Six and 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 Rexall was it was deafening. You know, I, I remember Jason Smith making that pass across to me at the blue line, and you know, I, I go in score, and the place just erupted like it was. Yeah. Because you guys were down two nothing in Game Six in the, in the third yeah, period. We were down two nothing, and uh, yeah, and then you know we just we just took over. And uh, I, I to this day, like people say, you know, Rogers was loud in the playoffs when they had it here, but there's no I, there's no comparison in how loud that building was because it was smaller. It's smaller, more compact. Yeah, it's it was it was smaller. But as soon as they opened the dressing room doors and the trainers would go out, you can just feel the excitement, the energy. And, and and as a player, if you can't get excited for, for that atmosphere, you, there's something wrong with you. You talk about Chris Pronger. Game five in Detroit, he was unbelievable. Like, I think he played like 34 minutes. You guys won that game, maybe 3-1, I'm thinking. Yeah. Uh, I, I know that it was a two-goal victory, but just the poise and... You know, we talk about guys being able to play in a rocking chair. Yeah. And he just, like, it just, and I'm watching him and I'm thinking, he ain't going to let them lose to these guys. Yeah. Like, they're he, not he losing. He calm. He's just calm back there. And it was, if they get around him, his stick and reach is so long that he'll just poke it away. Right. right? And, 
and you get the puck on his stick and that first pass he'll hit a guy at the you know at the red line or the blue line wherever and it was on the tape at full speed and it was just gone out of our zone and that's and that's huge the less amount of time you play in your zone the more you're attacking so yeah. for him he was yeah I, I i just couldn't believe you know you played against him and yeah he's really good but then when you play with guys you actually see how how good they are he wasn't an easy guy to play against and he's a guy that had he's a confident man yeah right and uh well to play against he was a guy that when you're lining up at the face-off he was the first one that would slash you right on top of the laces and then try and slash you at your wrist so when he came to our team, I'm like, thank God. He's one of those guys you hated playing against, right. but you love to have him on your team. And you know what? He's got a big personality. Yeah. But it's uh, if 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 yeah. if you could have a lot, if you kind of admire that, you know, like like it's, like you know, a lot of guys yeah. wish they could be that guy. You know, but what he I'm backed it up. You know, yes. like he's got a personality. He was he was very confident. He's a top three defenseman for 20, 20 years in the yeah, NHL. Yeah, yeah he, backed he, it. he backed it up. But uh, we had such a good group of guys in the dressing rooms but he would you know he'd come in there and just be loud and and take over but guys would just give right back to him so it, it made for interesting times in the dressing room for sure sometimes he was especially wasn't. him and him and george would go at it well, it was it was priceless to watch well george george got a lot of attention for a fourth line player yeah he <laughs> is that his? Yeah, yeah, George is, uh, he was definitely a character in the room and uh, especially on the ice. Yeah, uh, so let's, let's go to game six against Detroit. You're down 2 nothing. Uh, I remember on that day, because uh, Matheson and, and uh, Terry Jones were just giving it to me during the second intermission, because I'd said, you know what, I got a feel on Hemsky, like he's going to get a couple tonight, right? Yeah. Matheson's, uh, he's just chirping me. You and your Hemsky, you love Hemsky. I did like Hemsky. I still like Hemsky. I actually think Alex Hemsky is one of the most underrated players in Edmonton Oilers history, Fernando. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I, Hemmer was such a special player. He came in at 18, and yeah. the hands on him and just so silky and smooth, and nobody can really get a good hit on him because he would just hold the puck out, and you'd think, yo, you're reaching for the puck, and he'd be around you, and next thing you know, it's in the back of your And he was tough because Regeer flattened him lots, and he got up and bounced Yeah, by. I don't know why Regeer always had his number for yeah. whatever reason. And, uh, yeah, every time we played Calgary, Hammer would get popped. and See, in the 80s, Regeer would have just been cross-checked yeah. in the face, right? Yeah. That's the difference of, you know, or if it was a North American player, the guy would have just brought the stick up and drilled him right in the face. Yeah, right? man, you can't do that anymore, so... <laughs> Unfortunately not. Fernando yeah. Pisani is our guest. You guys win the series uh, in six against Detroit. I remember how excited Steve... Like, we were waiting down uh, by the dressing room, and S Steve Stales was hugging fans. As a, We had Steve on the show about a month ago, but he was hugging fans in the old Air Canada, whatever they used to call that bar down there. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Right? And <laughs> guys were... Like, was there a little bit of disbelief after you beat Detroit in six, or... Was well, there a burgeoning was, case of confidence going on? It was probably both a little bit of disbelief because nobody, well, nobody believed except for us in that room. And yeah. that was, you know, we kind of opened a lot of eyes once we, and I, in Detroit too, they kind of, when shaking hands, you can just see the, the disbelief in, in their eyes when, uh, and especially for me when I was growing up, I loved Steve Eiserman and, and shaking his hand, his last game. And, and they had such a powerhouse team that they were kind of destined to to win the cup that year. But um, that was kind of a, a bittersweet thing for me is to shake the guy's hand that I've idolized him and as a kid growing up and saying. Did you ask for a stick? No, I actually asked for a jersey. Not not then, but <laughs> later on after I asked him, and he personalized a jersey to me. So that was kind of cool and nice of him. So. Glenn Anderson in 1981 when the Oilers knocked off the Canadians got Guy Lafleur's stick. 
and I loved Guy Lafleur growing yeah. up as a kid, right? So oh, wow. uh, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I didn't. You, it wasn't the right time to ask for a jersey. Then. I know it's your last. <laughs> <laughs> it's your last game, but uh, can I have your jersey? But no, I uh, I waited a while and and grabbed one from him. When we come back, we're going to talk. Uh, we'll go through the 06 playoffs. We're going to talk about a moment in the series against San Jose where I didn't think you guys were going to win, and it had to do with a five on three and a ridiculous sequence involving the Sharks. Fernando Pisani is our guest for Touchback Safety on Oilers Now. This is Legends of the Game on Oilers Now with Bob Soffer. Only on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Guests on our show receive gift certificates to Roos Chris Steakhouse. Follow the sizzle to Alberta's own Roos Chris Steakhouse, 9990 Jasper Avenue, Tal Maggie. Brendan Connolly and the staff at Roos Chris that Oilers Now sent you. Roos Chris has been a sponsor of Oilers Lunch and Oilers Now for the last 11 seasons. And we have done uh, 14 Oilers Now road trips. We've got three more coming this season. The first one is to New York City, and it's almost sold out. If you're looking for a great sports weekend trip, you can join Oilers Now in New York. Uh, the Oilers are playing, uh, they're actually playing the Islanders, the Devils, and the Rangers. We've got tickets to the games against the Devils and the Rangers. Some of the people on the trip have already gone ahead and booked early to get in on the Islanders game as well, plus an opportunity to see the Dallas Cowboys against the New York Jets. This New York patch. Uh, package includes four nights at the Westin Hotel, which is not the team hotel for this trip, a welcome reception with yours truly, plus parking at the Value Park at the Edmonton International Airport. For the orders now, an NFL tour, call New West Travel at 780-432-7446 or online at newwesttravel.com. Trust me, the Westin Hotel in New York is a nice hotel. Uh, you won't be uh, let down there. Um, our guest for Touchback Safety, Legends of the Game Series, former oiler, now working with the uh, Edmonton, uh, with Oilers Entertainment Group, with the Edmonton Oil Kings as a skills coach, Fernando Pisani. New York and Chicago to open up the year. That is a broadcaster's dream, and I think a player's dream is, <laughs> would, you, would you say that's a pretty good pretty good start to the year? Yeah, it's two great cities, so. Yeah. Yeah, I was fortunate enough to live in Chicago and uh, loved every minute of it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's go back to 2006. So you knock off Detroit, you get San Jose. They won the first two games 2-1. It didn't feel like either of the two games were, to me, looking like they came at you hard those first two games. Yeah, it was uh, it was a completely different series from the one we just finished with Detroit, and they came at us hard. They were physical, and it took us a little time to kind of get our feet under us and say, okay, well, now we can't play the same way we played against Detroit. We got to start taking it to them, and they did the first two games, and then Rafi's uh, Rafi's hit kind of uh, yeah. turned the tables for us and kind of turned the momentum, and uh, then after that, we just we just kind of rolled through. Uh, I, I don't know if it was in game one or game two, but you guys got a two-minute five-on-three, okay? Yeah. And they must have blocked. I, I don't think the puck ever went on your side of center. Like, I, like <laughs> I think they might have got the puck out of the zone once, but you guys, they never, they never had, they had the same three guys kill a penalty the entire, I think for some reason Brad Stewart was one of the defensemen, and he was, or you know what, it might have been, uh, who was the guy from Kelowna? Hannon? might have been Hannon. It was a guy like that, a veteran Western Hockey League defenseman. He must have blocked eight or ten shots. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember that. Yeah. But and I and were you guys playing? Uh, we were just talking off here. You weren't in a one-three-one. You were in a box plus one. You think on the power I think, play? I think we were in a yeah. I think we were in a box plus one. But I now you're really testing my memory. Uh, I here. just I just re- <laughs> I just remember like man. I can't recall a team ever having the puck in the zone. Like, they never got their killers off the ice for the entire yeah. two-minute two run. 
and they had to. I'm pretty sure they blocked 12 to 15 shots. Did they? I don't even remember now. That's such a seems yeah. like such a long time ago. Um, but yeah, they like I said, they were they were cut tough. They came at us hard. They they really tested us in the first two games, and it opened our eyes because that that's a tough building to play in, and uh, it's a loud building. And yeah, it was it was extremely physical. You guys won an overtime in game three, and that changed the series. And you had to battle. I mean, what I think it was, was that the to go three overtime periods, two overtime. I just remember you won game three in OT here. Is, uh, Hork scored that game I, winner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was two. Okay, I remember now. Remember, yeah, how but, loud, remember how loud it was coming back here? Yeah. Well, yeah, people were just so jacked. I remember coming to my house, and uh, I found someone put an oil derrick on my driveway. To kind of, I was like, what the heck is this doing there? And I had to get someone. The neighbors came. They helped me move. It wasn't like a little five-foot thing. It was like 16 feet tall, made out of wood, a big derrick. And you, don't, and you didn't see it as an invasion of your privacy or anything, No, I thought it was funny. I was like, wow, what the heck? So who made time to do this? But, yeah, it was funny. And then... You know, you just it was that's how crazy it was here, and you couldn't go anywhere without people wanting to talk hockey, and, th- and that's why, that's why I love it when, when the team's doing well, everybody just, you know, surrounds themselves around the team, and and they want they want the guys to do well. Do you know when I started to think you were destined to win that series was in Game Four, uh, the Bokov came out to play the puck, and Samsonov had stepped out of the penalty box. Yeah. Remember, he misplayed mm-hmm. and he misplayed the puck right to Samsonov, who had a wide open end. And I, I remember, I, I think I looked at John Sexsmith and I said, "They're winning the series," because he was like, because he was down there for the first couple games, and he's like, "Man, they're good. Like San Jose is a good team." And you know, John's got a feel for the game. He's yeah. coached at a fairly decent level here. His kids playing, uh, you know, in the Western Hockey League. And he's like. Like the, and I'm like, you know what? I'm starting to think like, the well, you start fall. getting bounces like that, and those are gifts. And you know, when you get those gifts, you got to make sure you put them in, and, and that changes that changes momentum, that changes series, that changes everything, and it just gives you more more belief. And uh, yeah, and it, it just worked out well. And we guys guys really stepped it up. Yeah, shut them out. Game six, uh, we we had Hudson that day, and I remember being at the hospital, and Hudson's listening right now, and he doesn't know this, but his name was almost Hork. Because <laughs> he scored. I always, you know, Sean, Sean Horkoff was a pretty good player for this hockey team yeah. for a number of years. Yeah. And I don't care what anybody says, you, you know, they, oh, he wasn't a number one center, and he was a, a really good second line center at worst, and uh, he had a couple years that were close to first line center. I think that year he might have had. Was that the year yet? Did he have seventy points that year? I'm thinking, Brendan, can you look it up? I know Stoll had sixty eight. For some reason, I thought Orkoff had seventy three and Hemsky had seventy seven. I'm just doing that off the top of my yeah. head. But, but uh, you- yeah, Hork was Hork was very underrated. Like he did a lot of little things well that um, you know go unnoticed to a lot of people, but. Uh, for his teammates, we you know we believed in him, and and he was yeah he was really good for us. Were you one of the guys that almost uh, literally couldn't move as the series against Anaheim wore on? Game four and game five, did no, you get sick? No, I was fortunate enough. Uh, there was a bunch of guys that were just Jason Smith. And Jason, yeah, I don't even know how he played. Like you talk about toughness and. He just he was going on on fumes, but a lot of guys were down and out. I think there was about six or seven guys that were just throwing up and yeah having all the the fun stuff happening but you guys just wanted to get through that we just wanted yeah we just said we need to we need to take care of business here and and we did and i remember being on the pk with ethan morrow and and we played a lot because guys were just hurting and 
and we were just looking at each other like who wants to take the face off i'm too tired today you taking it and, and you're both wingers. We're, we're having yeah we're both wingers and we're having this conversation right before they drop the puck and i'm like okay i'll go you you go here you you get on the forecheck and i'll i'll take the face off so because he figured i was losing it so <laughs> well the good news is you guys had a hell of a party after you won game five in anaheim as i recall yeah yeah it was fun so but and that, then, that, those stories are all off the record and not to be discussed <laughs> yeah no it was fun it was good place to to kind of relax and hang out. So. Oh, there were some funny stories out of that. It is 12.57 in Edmonton. We'll come back with Fernando, talk a bit about the Stanley Cup final, his memorable overtime uh, shorty against the uh, Carolina Hurricanes, uh, his coaching career, and uh, dealing with a little bit of an illness as well. Off to a global news weather traffic update with Cassandra Jodwan. 6.30 Chad and the Edmonton Oilers Hockey Club present the show that is everything Oilers. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office Equipment Solutions North America wide. Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio. 6.30 Chad. Second hour of Oilers Now. Bob Stoffer with you. It's a Wednesday Part of our Oilers Legend Series in studio for touchback safety is Fernando Pisani. Oilers Now is brought to you by Digitex. Don't spend your valuable time meeting with door-to-door sales reps. Digitex is your all-in-one convenient location at digitex.ca. Alberta's number one owned and operated place to buy office technology uh, and software. Uh, Fernando, you mentioned you were in Kelowna. I was in uh, Kelowna last week as well. It's nice there. Yeah. Did you get your place before they put that residency tax thing in place, or is it? A yeah, I've had it for ten years, so it's okay. been a while. But I'm uh, that's just Kelowna. I'm not in Kelowna, so I'm in Vernon. So oh, you're I'm, in Vernon. I'm safe from that. Yeah, because it only affects certain communities. Is that right? Or yeah, it's all. I think it's just Kelowna, and I think that's it. Actually, I'm well, not. I'm oh, not. it's got to be West Vancouver. It has to be Vancouver as well, because yeah, part maybe. of the part of it's put in place because of the amount of. Um, Asian interest that was yeah. in the the, uh, the Vancouver marketplace. I mean, actually, in West Man, at one time, there was a non-Asiatic rule back in the 60s. Like, you know, oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I never heard that. Even, oh, yeah, <laughs> how incredibly politically and, uh, yeah. incorrect that is. It's un- unbelievable. Anyhow, uh, so we've got you in studio here. You can text us at 630-630 on our Heartland Ford text line. I'll open up the text at about 120. With over $10 million in new and pre-owned inventory, Heartland Ford out in Fort Saskatchewan, one of the largest volume Ford dealers in Alberta, experienced the difference of Heartland Ford. You can reach us on a River Cree Resort Casino hotline at 780-496-0063. Here we go. Uh, so we've, we've talked a bit about the first three rounds of the playoffs. There, there are little games within the games. Brad Winchester. Yeah. Stepping up. Guy's got to do what a guy's got to yeah, do to he, stay in the lineup, <laughs> eh? Yeah, it was funny because before the game, he's like, Mac, talk to me. And uh, he's, like, he's like, this is weird. And I'm like, well, what? He said, well, he asked me to grab, when they throw the octopus on the ice, to just grab it and, and put it on our bench. And I just, I just started laughing. I'm like, oh, okay. He's like, I don't know if I don't really want to do it. I'm like, well, you got to do it. He's asking you to do it. So they go, they throw it, and, you know, the guy grabs it and spins it around, and the place goes nuts. So they go and throw it on there, and when he opens the gate, grabs it, throws it in our in our bench, and 
the guy steps out and he doesn't know what to do <laughs> he's walking on the ice to grab it and spin it and it's already gone and it's in our bench and then uh, we did it the next game too but this time when he was smart enough he put the old surgical glove on and took his glove off and put it and grabbed it so, so he did it hands... he did it twice yeah he did it twice the first time he didn't wear the surgical glove and his hand stunk for a while uh, <laughs> and then the second time he decided to put the glove doesn't on doesn't your so... hand stink anyways once you get the gloves on <laughs> yeah, after a while? But, I guess so I mean the worst feeling in the world is getting face washed oh, in a scrum yeah, right it's disgusting yeah it just stinks so yeah Oh, man, that's funny. Yeah. Uh, well, you won two of the three games in Detroit that year in the Stanley Cup playoffs, so it must have worked. So, there, And then you guys, I don't I don't even know, was it, uh, it might have even been Chris Sheets. I mean, somebody was chucking uh, beef on the ice back here in Edmonton as well, and Commodore reciprocated that story. Yeah. Uh, when Carolina rolled it in the Stanley Cup final. And I didn't even notice it because I just, when you're starting and if you're on the bench, you're just focused on what you have to do and play. Yeah. So when I heard that, I thought that was funny. Do you too, ever, so. I, I got to ask you this, because Jack and me have this thing about anthem singers, okay? And we judge every, and the guy in Chicago is, yeah, it is, it is unbelievable in Chicago. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. right, he's, but do you ever sit there and go, Man, that guy stinks, or that guy sucks, or... There's a couple times when you look up and just to see who's actually singing, because you're like, oh, that's... I didn't hit that note there at all, so... Yeah. But, you know, I, when you're getting ready and you're focused, you're trying to just... You know, yeah. Especially for me, because I didn't have the luxury of taking taking nights off, so I always had to make sure that I was focused and dialed in and ready to go. So you're dialed in. You're on this, this career run in the playoffs, and, and you're, you know, it's... What was the name of the bat in the natural? Somebody can text us at 6.30, 6.30. Was it Wonder Boy that Roy Hobbs had? But anyways, did you use the same stick or pretty much as yeah, much as I, you could? I used the same stick for quite a while, and uh, I was, but I did that all the time. But well, when you score with one, you kind of keep it and make yeah. sure, okay, put this to the side. I'm not going to use it during practice. And uh, I did that for a while, and I liked whippy sticks. I used like a 70 stiffness, and most guys were... Uh, you know, I actually use 80, and most guys were about 100, 110, so just to get my snapshot off quick and release. So, uh, all right. But I always use the same stick all the time. Did it all change when Rolson got hurt for you guys? I mean, because Markinen played pretty well in the final five games of the series for you. Yeah, and it's – yeah, I, I – it's it was heartbreaking to see because, you know, when it happened, you're like, okay, get up, you know, like get up, you're fine, Let's let's go and – and you know you went over and you saw him and the pain and you're like oh man this isn't good and it wasn't anything against you know Conklin went in and and, and Juicy like but it's you have your number one you have your guy that's he's got, a leader on your team yeah, right as well like yeah. he's got a strong personality as he's well he's a leader on your team and he's just he's gotten us to this point and uh, yeah and it, it was tough it was tough to see and tough to uh, to watch him get carried off the ice because, uh, you know, like you said, he's a leader and he's, you know, he's a good buddy of ours. And um, to see him go down like that and, you know, looking back now, you're always like, well, what if, what if, right? And that's that's the worst feeling to have as a, as an ex-player is, you know, if he didn't get hurt, you know, maybe we come out because we, I thought that first game um, against Carolina, we dominated it and it just fell apart in the last little bit. Right. And obviously the malfunction, the junction, the giveaway and the goal. Yeah. And then it's just like, okay, then it's a comedy of errors after that. And, you know, you, you take that first game and you split and, you know, home ice advantage comes back your way. Right. Um, well, let's jump ahead to game. <laughs> I, 
maybe you can shed some light on this. Back to Pronger for a second. I may have told the story before. I saw him in between Game 3 and Game 4 of the Stanley Cup Final. He lived in my neighborhood, so in the southwest part of the city, and he was behind me in the line at Starbucks. And I, he had a really... You know how he had those loud shirts? Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> Bright pink, yeah. Yeah, like he wore, he, he wore loud shirts. And yeah. he's, so he sees me in, in my vehicle, and, and like I said, we just had Hudson, so he's sleeping in the back of the car with my wife, and uh, he honks at me, and my wife's like, who is that? Well, right? and I'm like, <laughs> yeah. you won't believe it, it's Chris Brogger. So I buy him his coffee. Okay. Yeah. I buy him his coffee. I don't see him the morning of game four or whatever. I didn't. I just drove off. Right. It's not. A, it's like five dollar coffee. Yeah. Right. Like your drive through. You guys lose game four. Okay. Devast. Everybody should be devastated. He. I'm like the first guy in the room. Right. And uh, this is before I'm doing the games for the team. And he comes up to me and goes, "Hey, I just wanted to say." He broke the mold. And I go, what? He goes, well, you know, broadcasters and, you know, sportscasters and writers are notoriously cheap. Thanks for the coffee, man. And I'm like, you just lost game four of the Stanley <laughs> Cup final. I th- he, I'm surprised he didn't blame you for it. <laughs> and then he goes, he actually said, we'll be back here for game six. Yeah. So game five, you played a pretty central role in game five, as, as I recall, in overtime. Yeah, game five, uh, Stevie gets a penalty, and, uh, you know... Edmontonians are swearing at their TV. Right now, there's guys listening to the show that are saying, Bob, I'm with you. I was watching that... I was next to John Sexsmith in Carolinas, and we were were actually in the stands, just the row above the first... And we're like, what kind of call is that? Like, yeah, like, I know. It was, it was a BS call on yeah, Stevie, Yeah, and too. Stevie was pissed off, and, and so we get on the ice, and you're like, okay, just don't get scored on. Don't get scored on in your head. And, um, you know, Ethan Ethan gets on the forecheck, you know, angles him off to just above the hash marks in, in their zone. And I remember just kind of sitting and, and holding the middle, and like our PK does. We kind of in an eye formation and um, just kind of waiting and watching and, and Chop kind of slashes him right on his stick and his hand as he's going to make that pass. And it's like time just stood still and froze and I my eyes just opened up and I'm like this is right to me and I stepped up and um, I think I think Cam was I don't think he was expecting that turnover to happen right, right there because I don't think he was set in his net he was kind of off to his his blocker side so I got the puck and and looked up right away and uh, I just saw the top top left of the net just there for me and it was one of those things and where... And you had a good shot. And, you know, and you had a whippy stick. Yeah, and I had the snapshot. And, um, you know, it was one of those things that just went perfectly at the exact right time that it needed to happen. And uh, I remember leading into that, though, like I pulled a muscle in my rib and I couldn't twist or turn. And I was just so banged up and, and sore. And I'm just like, I got to get everything I can behind this. And uh, I did. And it just came off my stick just crisp and clean and next thing you know guys were jumping on me and and that was it. Fernando, for a lot of our fans listening to the show right now, you can text us at 630-630. That might be their favorite moment. Like for guys that didn't grow up watching the Oilers in the 80s, that might be their favorite moment as an Oilers fan. Well, I have a lot of people that come up to me and say I remember exactly what I was doing at that time when you scored that goal and a lot of people come up and say that's one of the things that they remember the most. Can you remember where we scrummed you after you scored in the tunnel. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Remember yeah. how windy yeah. it was? Yeah. So back to Pronger. What did he like to do to guys? 
he liked to two-hand them and chop them across yeah. Achilles' stand, right? <laughs> yeah. So he comes walking by, and I'm in the scrum leaning in, and he chops me right <laughs> in the Achilles' tendon, like really hard. Yeah. And then he goes, I look at him, and I'm kind of like this. He goes, and he goes, I blank and told you. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Right? And you do it like, and I'm like... Holy, like he, like I'm thinking that's how multi layered of a thinker he was. Like, they, yeah. he had that kind of, right? <laughs> he just did that to anybody who was in his way. And that's funny he did it to you because uh, <laughs> he does it to everybody. Yeah, it's a, it's a funny one. All right. Uh, so you, you, you come back, you win game six, and you guys, it, it was scoreless through one, but you guys were really in control that game every step of the way, weren't you? Yeah, in Game Six. Yeah, yeah in, in Edmonton. Yeah, yeah in Edmonton. Uh, yeah, I thought we we dominated that one basically from the drop of the puck, and uh, we controlled everything. And it was, um, you know, we took care of business. And then we go to Game Seven, and I remember sitting there, and Sean Horkoff was my roommate, and you know, we have our pregame meal, and we're kind of sitting there getting ready to have our, our nap, and we both just kind of staring at the ceiling, and and we looked at each other and said, "We're in Game Seven of the Stanley Cup Finals," and. It was, it was kind of, uh, you know, we, we just didn't sleep. We just sat there and stared at the ceiling, getting ready for the game. And um, it was it was a tough, tough loss to, to go all that way and then to come up short. All right. Uh, we're, it, it was tough. It's still tough. <laughs> all these years later? Yeah, it is. It's uh, it's hard to watch the, when they hand out the cup every year when I watch it from, from when we lost to every year that we watch it now. It's... It's still never easy to watch because you just remember all those emotions and all those feelings. They all come back. How good was Rafi Torres those final three games of that series? Rafi was a bull. He was uh, he was one of those guys that would run run you over to get to the guy he's going to hit, and you had to be aware of him on the ice, especially in practice. Well, you probably watched uh, that surprise. He run drill breaker, over, drill killer. Yeah, yep. he was a drill killer and. Uh, but he would run guys over and just wouldn't think twice about it. But that's that's how he played. It's not like he was just doing it to to be that guy. He just played like that. He just played reckless. Yeah. Oh man. Oh, I'm. I, you know what? I, it shows how much it meant to you. Like you can yeah. uh, that you still think about it. And it's. I mean, and you almost tied it. Yeah. That's... That bounced over my stick, and yeah, I still remember that play. To so you would have liked to have had the fifteenth. Yeah, that yeah. would have been nice. Because you but probably, you know what? I was there, I was on, I was right on top of it, and it just hopped over my stick, and you could just see it getting away from yeah. me. Fernando Pisani's our guest. This is Oilers Now. This is Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on Oilers Radio, 630 Ched. 120 in Edmonton. I am going to get to some texts. Fernando's been kind enough to uh, agree to stay for some extra minutes. He he does have to run off at, at some point here. But um, did you know during that playoff room uh, run? I mean, it was an amazing run. But did you guys have any clue at all what was going on with Chris Pronger? I, I didn't. Um, I, I think some guys did, but I had no idea. Like yeah. I, I guess looking back now, it happened uh, the month before the season end and then our summer or maybe even after christmas is what yeah. he had asked and uh, but no i had no idea it was kind of shock to me um and then you know after the run i just still had no idea and then all of a sudden well we came home on the the final game was on a monday yeah right so the team flew home you guys flew home tuesday right did you stay in or did you fly home after we stayed uh we stayed the night and then we flew yeah, back on the on the tuesday on, on the next day 
And by Thursday, it was out. Yeah. Because we had Strachan on the story, and he's the guy that pushed the story out. And in our and at that point, we realized, you know, and I think the draft was like right after, right after on the Saturday in Vancouver. Yeah. And I know at that point they were shop. You got signed the next week. I got signed right right before July first. Like June, so June thirtieth, yeah. and that was yeah. a Saturday as well. Because I remember you were down at the old Kingsway office, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then Prongs got moved for Lupul and Speed four days later. Yeah. Um, and th- and that was tough because you don't get those type of players very often. And he was yeah. like you said, top three defenseman in, in the league for for such a long time. And and to lose that was um, it was tough because you you thought you know what this is a good group. Let's see if we can continue this on to the next couple of years, right? And um, unfortunately, just things didn't happen that way. For you, you had a a, a physical change that occurred. Uh, yeah. Crohn's and colitis, right? Uh, colitis, yeah. Colitis. How did? When did you find out? Uh, how much did it knock the crap out of you? No pun intended. Yeah. And and how have you dealt with it ever since? Um, well, it happened. I think it was. Oh, yeah, during the summer, I started to feel feel sick and not feel right. And then, you know, you're trying to train and and do all these things. And I went to see a doctor. And at the time, I just went to um, a specialist in in Edmonton here and. Um, just kind of was hoping I could just deal with it and, and get it wrapped up and continue on with my training. So I would still be pushing my body hard and in, in training and then go get my meds and get treatment and then try and, and you know, see if it would kick in. But Could you keep your weight up at all? No. I ended up uh, I ended up having, I called Kenny Lowe, who was our trainer at the time, and I said, Kenny, I'm, I'm not feeling good. Um, this is what's going on. And Kenny was Kenny was amazing with it. Um, he said, "Okay, what do you need from us? What do you need me to do?" And that's where I I got into contact with um, my doctor at the time, who was uh, Doctor Fedoric, and I ended up losing about 55 to 60 pounds. And uh, I wasn't a big guy to begin with to lose that. What did you play at? 195. I played at uh, two 200 ish. Okay. So two 205. So then I dropped down to maybe 150 and wow. uh, it was scary honestly I so this know. was summer of 06 or 07 summer of 06 i believe yeah summer of 06 so you just signed the four-year extension at that I, point yeah i signed i signed that and uh, and i was just at that point you're not really thinking about hockey you're thinking about life, life. you're thinking about life and 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 it was such a struggle because every med that we tried it never worked and everything that I ate or drank went right through me so it was it was extremely scary for for me because I'm like I've always been in tip-top shape I've always been very healthy I've taken care of myself and then you go from that to being anemic diabetic all these things started happening because I couldn't retain any food I couldn't even walk down the hallway without stopping for for some for some rest and then finally I was able to find a, a certain uh, some medicine that worked for me, and then all of a sudden things started to get better, and I started to be able to eat again. And it was it was like you think about this: I have a glass of water here. I was scared to to drink that water because of what would happen. So you get to a point where you're scared to eat, you're scared to drink, and um, yeah, it was it was very scary time for me and my family because you know hockey after is you know it's an afterthought you're thinking okay how am i going to live then they start talking about surgery and you're like whoa whoa like where's all this coming from and you get to a certain point in your health where they say okay well 
if these meds aren't going to kick in, then the next course of action is is surgery and removing part of your your intestine. And you're like, oh. so it was very scary. This medicine started to work, and then I started to feel better. And that year, I started. I think I came back after December. And we just started doing little things like I Charlie would skate me and I would do literally do one lap because the doctor said, don't push yourself too hard because then you could have a relapse. Right. So just take baby steps. So Charlie would come on the ice with me and I'm like, Charlie, you don't have to come out. And he's like, well, we'll just do a little skate. So we did one lap and I was gassed. I was white. Wow. And uh, so we stopped. And then the next day you just, you know, you start to get more and more energy and you start to feel better and better. And then you start to push yourself a little bit more. And I uh, was able, fortunate enough to come back. And um, guys, like, nobody knew what that was at the time. Right. Like, nobody understood what that disease was. And um, then when guys came to the hospital to see me, they were like, whoa. Like, yeah. What when they, see, when they see that drop in weight, right? And, then, like, you know, I, I always say I looked in the mirror and I look like uh, Mr. Burns on The Simpsons. You know, like, that's how skinny, that's how frail, that's how pale I looked. And, um yeah, it was um, it was kind of an eye-opener for guys when they came to watch me because they just thought, you know, it's not a big deal. And then they see me and it's like, oh. How, did you ever get back up to 195, 200? Yeah, I, oh, I was able to come back to my playing weight and, you know, everything was good after that. And I found, uh, I was fortunate enough to, to get into contact with, with that doctor, <clears throat> Dr. Fedoric, and... Uh, yeah, he got me back to got me back to health. And are you still on the medic? Do you still have to take medication now? Yeah, I still I still have to manage it. Um, so it's it's been good, and uh, I, I feel healthier than I've ever been. Yeah. Well, uh, did you change your diet at all? Yeah, I, I changed my diet. I went when I was in Chicago. I met with a nutritionist there, and she um, she did like the hair analysis, spit test, and all that. And so she broke down exactly what was you know nutrients and vitamins that my body was lacking and needing, and uh, she said, you need to cut out gluten. So I cut out gluten, so I've been gluten-free. And uh, I made a big change, and uh, being Italian, giving up gluten, that's uh, yeah. <laughs> that's that's tough to do. And, um, yeah, it ended up working out well, and I felt felt really good, and uh, I, I've done it ever since. Awesome stuff. So 128, well, we'll keep you for maybe 10 more minutes, if that's cool. Sure. Okay, yeah. off yeah. to a global news weather traffic update. Cassandra Jodwan, Fernando Pisani with us. This is Legends of the Game on Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Only on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Bruce Chris. Fernando, we're going to be sending you to Bruce Chris at some point. So, uh, Brendan, uh, just uh, just uh, know, Brendan, that uh, Fernando's going to be coming your way once I get the GCs. For sure. <laughs> for a player to be named later. All right, uh, let's switch focus here. We've talked a lot about your career. Uh, thank you for shedding some insight on the personal, physical battle you had along the way. You're now coaching. You're a development coach, uh, but that wasn't the first. Uh, w- was the U of A job the first coaching yep. job? Yeah, the, the U of A f- was my first gig, and uh, working with Ian Herbers. Yeah, working with Herbie. Um, that was awesome. And it you was, went two for two, didn't you, with that team? Yeah, you won national titles in both years. Yeah, that you were both there? years. The, the first year I, I wasn't on the bench. The second year I was, and first year I kind of came out and observed and learned and kind of learned the ropes because. Just because you play the game doesn't mean you know how to coach it or teach it or, or do any of those things. So it was nice to to have Herbie to, to learn from. So <laughs> You never know who's listed. You've already got the okay. Yeah. Uh, Thanks, so, Brendan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyhow, uh, so you go two for two. And, and the funny thing is you played at Providence. Yeah. Now, 
if I recall correctly, uh, what were you? What round were you selected in? Like sixth, seventh? No, it was a eighth round pick. All right, there is no more eighth round in the yeah. NHL draft, yeah. so they made it count, didn't they? Well, yeah, I think so. And how, uh, how, how did you find out that you were drafted? <laughs> Well, it was um, just a, another Saturday night, just going to go out with some buddies, and I called my one buddy's uh, house, and his mom answered the phone, and she said, um, uh, she said, hey, congratulations. And I said, well, well, thanks, but for what? And she said, oh, you were, you were drafted by the Oilers. And I said, uh, are you sure? I'm like, I, I never heard anything, and I thought I would be one of the first people to find out when you're drafted. But... Uh, she said, no, I, I heard it on the news. And uh, she goes, just let me double check. I'll ask my husband because he was watching it too. And he said, yeah, they said Fernando Pizzani drafted by the Edmonton Oilers. And so I'm like, okay, this is awesome. I'm excited. It's my favorite team, you know, I, watching the Oilers grow up and everything. So it was kind of those uh, uh, picture perfect things. And so I'm like calling everybody, telling everybody. So and then I'm like, oh, I better, I better confirm this because I've called my parents, I've called my buddies, and tell them I got drafted. But it's coming. There's from, no internet back then. Yeah, it's it's '96, and there's no internet, and my source isn't 100 uh, percent reliable. And uh, so I called, I called one of the the newspapers. I think it was the Sun or the Journal. And so I said, Hey, can you tell me who the Oilers' draft picks were? So they name them all off, and I'm not on there. So I'm like, oh, man, I just told everybody. I, I'm like, I'm going to look oh, like an on. idiot. So, so I'm like, oh, man, this is awful. And I've already told probably 50 people. So I'm like, this isn't good. So then I called another newspaper article, and uh, they said, yep, yeah, Fernando Pisani was one of the kids drafted. So now I've got 50-50. So I'm like, okay, those are better odds. But... Uh, still wasn't 100% sure, and uh, then finally I I hear from hear from the Oilers, and I think it was a day or so later or two. Wow! Um, so I get a phone call and said, "Yeah, come on in to you know the Oilers' office, which was right right by the, the Kingsway there." And so you know, 18, 19 years old, very nervous and don't know what to expect. So I get all dressed up, uh, walk in, and you know, go to the reception. I said, "Hi, I'm I'm, I'm Fernando Pisani." Um, I was drafted. I'm I'm here to see, you know, I think it was, well, it was Kevin, Kevin Prendergast at the time. And she said, yeah, have a seat, just wait here. So really nervous, you know, going to meet, you know, the Oilers brass, and I'm very excited and thinking, oh, this is going to be great. So, yeah, go on upstairs. So I go up, knock on the door. Uh, Kevin sends me in and uh, reaches in in a box, grabs a jersey that has 96 on it, and uh, says, here you go, we'll keep an eye on you for the next four years. And uh, I'm like, okay. So I just walked out right after that. So <laughs> I was like, ah, you know, you're going in expecting something like, hey, you know, we like the way you play. We thought like this about you, but it was like, here's your jersey, and uh, we'll keep an eye on you for four years when you're at Providence. I said, okay, good talk. So that was, uh, that's how I found out, and. Uh, <laughs> It's a funny story now, but at the time I was like, what just happened? <laughs> wow, 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 wow. Yeah. You played at Providence. Now you're coaching in the Western Hockey League as a skills and development coach for the Edmonton Oil Kings. So we've got parents listening. There's some Right now there's some terrific kids. Last two years, the number one overall pick in the WHL Bantam draft has been from, is that correct, from Edmonton? Yeah. Dylan Gunther a year ago. Yeah. And who was the kid the past year? 
apparently this guy's pretty good. Like Gunther's good, but this the guy a year ago uh, or the, 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 is he from Winnipeg? The yeah the. Brandon, you want to jump in here since you lost the bet? Matthew Savoy. Matthew Savoy. Oh, we had sorry. a little bet. Savoy, yes. Yeah, yeah. We had, we had a little bet. I told him that he'd end up signing a WHL. Yeah, uh, Savoy is uh, a very, very special player. <laughs> you don't see So two many. special players yes. back to back years out of Edmonton. Yeah. So what's the better route? Is there a better route? Give me your. You've played in the uh, AJHL, gone to NCAA. You, yeah. you coach and help uh, skill development for WHL. You used to work uh, with uh, the U of A program as yeah. well. So, I, yeah, I've been fortunate enough to be around both, and they're both really good routes to go. It's it's all, I always tell, you know, because parents ask me, say, well, what's the better way to go? And it just depends on it, how the mature your kid is and, and what type of player he is, because some that are very elite players, you know, the WHL is probably the best route to go because you know they're elite and they're going to get lots of games and they're going to just jump right into sure. you know, into the NHL um, right from late from bloomers 18. maybe late bloomers you know maybe like I was a late bloomer and you know NCAA was you know a great route for me so uh, it always depends on what type of player you are and 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 what you you know what that player is needing at the time. Trevor from Stony Plain on our Heartland Ford text line at 630-630. Today's Oilers need more Fernando Pisani's. That one comes to us from Trevor. Uh, Ben says, out of Wetaskiwin, can you ask Fernando about his brother Sandro and what he was like as a player? Uh, well, he was he was smaller than me, and uh, he was he was skilled, and he you know he scored some goals, and uh, that's the type of player he was. He wasn't a fighter by any by any stretch, but uh, but yeah, he scored goals and was a playmaker, and he was a centerman, so he was he was very creative. Another text comes in saying, "Bob, uh, thank you, Fernando." Uh, this is what happens when they recalibrate on the fly. Oh boy. Uh, thank you, Fernando, for your commitment to Edmonton and leaving everything on the ice. As fans go, that's all we can ask. Another text out of Edmonton says, Bob, can you ask Fernando if he ever called a bus driver a meatball? <laughs> that's obviously an inside joke, but I... Yeah, am. it's an inside joke. I don't know. <laughs> I, I got crap this year for calling the bus driver bussy. Really? Is that not the what you're supposed to call the bus driver if you don't know his name? Bussy? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I've I've never heard of getting crap for calling him Bussy, but yeah, <laughs> meatball's bad too. So <laughs> <laughs> I've been called meatball oh, often. Yeah. <laughs> Usually, well, what time do I get home? Two thirty, two forty-five each day. So yeah, yeah. Look, uh, hey, awesome stuff. We appreciate. There's a bunch of more texts coming in. We'll read some of them. We got to get to NHL today, but thank you for joining us on the show. Yep, thanks Conti- for having me. The Oil Kings got a lot of skill coming in on their team. Uh, Dylan Gunther is going to be there. He'll be on your team. I yeah. would not surprise me. Put it this way: next, uh, he's going to play as a 16 this year. In his draft year, my guess is he'll score 30 goals in his draft year because he can really. He's got an elite shot. He can yeah. shoot the pill. He's yeah. He so, definitely is. So expect and, big things from him. Yeah. And obviously, Brad Lauer did. I mean, he got the, the, something worked with last year's. I mean, you've lost a little bit of that high end offense, but you're going to be able to replace some of it. And you've got some terrific young players there. So you guys should be really excited. Yeah, it's an exciting time. So we'll see once they get on the ice. Go be a dad. Thanks, All right. Thanks, thanks for your time. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Fernando. We're going to take, take a, You bet. It's 142 in Edmonton. We'll take a quick timeout. This is Oilers Now. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon. On Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.